as a church, we're taking time to look at the, the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, those books of the Bible that were written before the life and the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. In this series, we're calling Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And um, I had a teaching prepared called Seeing Jesus in the Psalms. And um, <laughs> late in the week, this last week, I did something as a preacher that I just, I don't know that I've actually done this yet in the seven years of Sound City. I just scrapped it. I took the whole sermon. I said, that's a great sermon. Not going to preach it. And I prepared something uh, different. So this is going to be a little bit more focused. We will be in Psalm 131. You have to understand, too, I was raised in the charismatic church where almost every Sunday the preacher would stand up and say, I had a sermon written. The Lord told me to scrap it. I'm like, man, the Lord should start communicating to you earlier in the week. You could save some time in preparation. But uh, I really genuinely felt like the Lord laid a more specific word on my heart. It's going to be from Psalm 131. So rather than inviting a scripture reader to come up today and read the scripture for us, I'm going to do something um, that Rusty, my, uh, my counselor, my spiritual director, has regularly practiced with me. And it's been a, it's been a calming uh, practice for my own heart, and I'd like to invite you into this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read Psalm 131. It's a short psalm. It's only three verses. I'm going to read it, and I'm just going to pause. We're going to hold in stillness for a moment. I'm going to read it a second time in a, in a different translation. Pause again. I'm going to read it a third time in three different translations just to maybe pick up on some of the different nuances of this. So rather than kind of, a, oh, we're going to dive in and have this like formal scripture reading time, I would just like to invite you to let the words of the scriptures wash over your heart, wash over your soul, and then I'll spend a few minutes um, unpacking both this psalm as well as the theme of peace, Jesus being our peace from Psalm 131. Is it okay if we do something different today, church? Is all right? Okay. If you don't like it, Sorry, here we go. (laughs) All right, Lord, we bring our hearts to you right now. Would you minister your grace to our hearts through your word? Psalm 131, a song of ascents to Jerusalem of David. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor do I have a haughty look. I do not have great aspirations or concern myself with things that are beyond me. Indeed, I am composed and quiet like a young child carried by its mother. I am content like the young child I carry upon my soul. O Israel, hope in the Lord now and forevermore. Lord, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, Put your hope in the Lord now and always. O Lord, 
My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, may we join with our brother David in this prayer that you would minister your peace to our hearts in this season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have four daughters. The oldest is uh, going to be 17 soon. The youngest is almost nine, which means I've spent a lot of time watching princess movies in my life. And it's really fun to see even like the Trunk or Treat or Halloween weekend just a week ago, like so many Elsas and Annas still. It's too many Elsas and Annas. These movies, they're, they're so well made and they have such an enduring impact and they've done such an incredible like uh, uh, cultural shaping for our, our society. But I am convinced that one of the most damaging phrases ever uttered to our society comes to us by way of all these princess movies. You ready for it? Plug your ears. This is going to mess you up. You ready? It's this phrase. And they lived happily ever after. Children, I'm so sorry to burst your bubble early, but the sooner we get this over with, the sooner you'll, you'll have a more realistic expectation for life because what this, what this basically tells us is there's conflict, there's tension, there's whatever, and then at some point in life, you will reach the zenith. You'll reach the, the top of the mountain and then it will just be smooth sailing and coasting from that time forward. Now, I'm not that old, but I'm getting older in a season of life where I'm starting to wonder if maybe Walt Disney lied to me. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if stinking Timon and Pumbaa with their Hakuna Matata nonsense like messed me up for life. Like, what do you mean no worries for all the rest of your days? I have worries pretty much every single day. Anybody with me? Anybody tired of this feeling of like, oh, well, if they, you know, oh my gosh, the, the phrase, well, it's just a busy season. Well, it's just a hard season right now. It's been like three decades of a busy season for me. I think I'm just a busy person. I think I might have a problem of saying yes to too many things. Anybody with me? Come on. Oh, well, you know, it's just, it's, it's, we're going we're gonna to turn this corner and, and then it will be, everything will be smooth sailing and everything will be good. And meanwhile, we who are followers of Jesus might ignore what he said. Things like, oh, you know, in this life, you will face many trials. Or what did we, what did we hear in the Sermon on the Mount? Every single day has enough trouble of its own. When we believe this kind of carrot-dangling truth that someday, in the, in the near future, everything will turn a corner, it will all just be smooth sailing, we set ourselves up to live, uh, and I'm going to use this word kind of throughout the day today, uh, we're gonna, we set ourselves to live up in an anxious sort of way. 
and I just want to, I'm going to use the word anxiety or anxiousness. I am using it in the more kind of general sense, maybe not a specifically clinical sense, although there is a connection between the general anxiety that all of us live with and feel. Uh, you know, the, the, the things that unsettle us, the things that upset us, the things that cause us to have not a, a quiet and still soul like we just read in Psalm 131. We, we live with this low-grade anxiety. We're not at ease. We're, we're, we're fragmented. Anyone ever feel fragmented? Like I'm just kind of broken apart into my, my mind is scattered or scrambled. Or another word maybe I would use is reactive. Anybody know the word reactive? Just like I'm, I'm reacting to things and Stuff is coming at me, and I don't feel settled, and I don't feel at peace. If we want to get Old Testament on it, the word we could use is, well, it's the opposite of shalom. Shalom is this Hebrew word that we often translate just as peace. But it's, it's, when you really dive into it, it's such a bigger concept than just peace. Like, I'm just sitting here, you know, not stressing. It's, it's wholeness. It's overall, everything is as it should be. Let me talk about anxious living, and let's see, if you can, let's see if you can identify yourself in some of this. A couple thoughts. First one is this. Every single person experiences anxiety. Every one of us experiences anxiety. Depending on your, your, your age, your season of life, depending on your financial stability, depending on your family situation, people will experience more or less anxiety. And yes, there is such a thing as clinical anxiety where your body is literally so stuck in reactivity that you can't pull out of it, you can't be able to think straight. But every single one of us experiences dis-ease, unease. And the starting point of, of being able to experience Jesus as our peace is recognizing that we are imperfect people living in a broken world. What did we expect? And there's situations, I, I like to think of the word like, like injecting, like it's like there's these situations, I'm, I'm just there, I'm living, maybe, you know, just kind of normal levels of stability or anxiousness in my life, but then something happens, right? I remember one time, uh, my wife was taking a shower upstairs. I was sitting in the living room. I would say reading a book, but probably farting around on my phone or doing something like that. And one of my daughters came walking into the room and goes, Dad, there's water dripping from the kitchen ceiling. You don't ever, like there's no circumstance that you ever want to hear that sentence uttered. There is water dripping from the kitchen ceiling. What's above the kitchen ceiling? Oh, the shower. This is going to be expensive. (laughs) Situations like that, or situations where when your kids comes home from school and says, Mom, I need to talk to you about something. Situations where you turn on the, the news or the radio and you hear some thing that's just devastating report, some stress inducing thing. Situations when a friend comes walking into your office and says, hey, I need to share something really heavy with you. Everyone experiences this. And the sooner we can break free from the happily ever after expectation, the sooner we'll be able to move in the direction of experiencing Jesus' peace. Number two, it's important to note that anxiety gets passed around. Anxiety gets passed around. 
you know, my role as a pastor often includes sitting with people and hearing and sharing in their anxieties. I have a, a conversation with someone recently, and they were, they, they were kind of sharing with me just some difficulties they're going through in life, and they followed up with a text message later that day. and goes, hey, what should I be reading in the Bible? You know, just as I'm facing this season of difficulty, what should I be reading? And then he responded with, and don't say the Psalms. Everyone says the Psalms. So I was like, man, you beat me to it. But I'm, but I've, I've just, as a pastor, I just, I got, I got to have someone come and share with me a real difficult thing that they're walking through. But even those of you who aren't, you know, in, in formal ministry or something like that, you have friends, you have family members, you have people, you have neighbors, you have situations in your life where you're around someone and if they're experiencing some sort of burden or they're experiencing some sort of dis-ease or some sort of anxiety, we, we can catch it. We can catch it from them. You all know this experience. You're, you're, you're at your office or you're at some place and everyone's just kind of sitting there and then somebody comes in who's had a bad morning and they're grouchy and you could just kind of tell by their body language or their, their face that they're wearing. And, and then all of a sudden, you can kind of feel it in your bones. And there's all sorts of cool stuff that I'm not going to get into right now about the, you know, the, the mirror neurons in our brains. It's almost like, it's almost as if we are like um, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's almost like we were hardwired to connect with one another in relationship as human beings, as image bearers of God. But as we connect with one another, as we walk through this life together, we pass our anxieties around. I would even go so far as to argue that what we are witnessing right now is society-wide anxiety sharing. And the third thing I want to say on this is anxiety often feels automatic. Anxiety often feels automatic. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I don't think any of you wake up in the morning and you look yourself in the mirror as you're brushing your teeth, you go, man, what do I want to stress out about today? <laughs> if you do, please come find me after the church service because... We need to talk. We don't choose these feelings. It often feels like it just happens to us. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to step out of my field of expertise, which is theology, and share with you uh, some of the reading that I've done over my time of sabbatical on anxiety and reactivity. So there's a few things that were really helpful for me. I learned that one of the primary theories about our, our human brain is that there are three main systems. There's three systems operating. There's the reptilian system, there's the limbic system, and then there's the Jurassic system. No, I'm just kidding. It's the, um, the neocortex. And, and psychologists and brain scientists say that basically like that first one, the reptilian, it, it kind of controls all the stuff that's automatic, right? Your breathing, your blood pumping, um, you know, certain reactions where you jump when there's a perceived threat, things that you just do automatically. The second system, the limbic system, controls a lot of your, like your memory and your emotion. That's where a lot of your emotions come. And then the third and the final one to, to develop uh, in, human, in, in humans is this, the, the neocortex. It's the rational and the logical thinking. It's the ability to, to kind of rise above. But that first one, that first just kind of baseline part of who we are as a human being, it's, it's not some just random thing. It's not some, you know, random accidental product of evolution. I believe it's put there by God because it's a really good thing that your body reacts to a threat. 
It's a really good thing uh, when, when, when there's some sort, you know, you're, you're going for a hike, or I mean, this is showing my Alaska roots, you're going for a hike, and then you hear some scuffling and grunting in the woods, like boom, all of a sudden you're just running like the prophet Elijah outrunning Ahab's chariot. You, your body just kicks in and an adrenaline kicks in, like that's a really good thing. Robert Creech is a, a pastor and a psychologist. He, he, he writes about it this way. He says, reactivity is our capacity to react to threats without thinking. It can save both time and lives. That's good, right? It's not some accident. God put that in us. When, under immediate threat, we may not have the time to take out a yellow legal pad, draw two columns, and thoughtfully consider the pros and cons of possible responses. <laughs> as cool of a person as that sounds like. Rather, we automatically respond with immediate action. Okay, <laughs> pause for a second here. <laughs> My wife's not here at this service, so I'm going to tell the story. Yeah, uh, Friday, Friday, we, uh, we have a, a camper trailer, and it's, it's getting rainy and nasty, and we, we need to put the cover on the camper trailer. It's, I needed to do it a few weeks ago, but finally got a break in all this rain we've been having, and so I was using the leaf blower to clean it off. And I asked Erin Lynn if she would help me because it's a two-person job. And so she went out to the shed and she got the cover for this uh, camper out of the shed. Some of you see where this is going. And she's carrying it out and she kind of drops it on the yard next to the camper trailer. And I grab one corner and she grabs the other corner and we start to pull it apart and a rat jumps out of the cover and runs directly between her feet. And my wife shrieked bloody murder and went sprinting off down the road into our cul-de-sac. The really, really fun part about it is that my neighbor Sandy was in his driveway with like four construction workers that are doing a bathroom remodel for him. And so there's this whole group of people watching my wife shriek and me hands on my knees laughing at her. And so it was like this big, and, I, and she comes walking back after a minute. And I literally said to her, here's my, here's my deep words of encouragement. I said, hey, how's your reptilian complex doing right now? And she was really happy with me. So uh, <laughs> she just responded with immediate action. Robert Creech goes on, he says, though, he is, however, our brains do not know at the level of reactivity the difference between a real threat and an imagined one. So our brains respond as programmed. The same, listen to this, the same physiological changes occur in our bodies in response to our emotional reactivity to people in our family or congregation, workplace. That fight or flight thing can kick in when it's an emotional anxiety, not an actual physical threat. Chuck DeGroat, who's also, a, he's a, a Christian counselor and an author, he writes this. He says, we can see how quickly we fall victim to our reptilian fight or flight responsivenesses in an argument with our spouse rather than leaning in and allowing ourselves to move into a more elevated conversation. We can see how we react even at a national level in times of crisis with knee-jerk responses. Um, this is not internet conspiracy theory talk when I say that most every single marketing and media outfit out there in our society has figured out how to tap into that part of our brain because it gets us to act and spend money and do what they want us to. I'm not, I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds like some sort of wacky conspiracy theory, but it's not. You can go, go do the research for yourself. 
Sorry, that's a triggery phrase right now. <laughs> but I mean it, like the way that social media, the, just the way the, the, the media itself has been designed, has been intentionally designed to provoke that lesser thinking, that less rational, that less logical part of who we are. And the, the way that TV and all these things are put together, they're, they're, they're designed to tap into that. We're seeing this society-wide reactivity anxiety fest. So when we feel that anxiety, there's a few ways that we commonly respond. We had a conversation with our, our staff team earlier this week, and we kind of walked away with four kind of main, main buckets, main ways that we might respond. And so I invite you to see if you see yourself in one or multiple of these or maybe something else. One, one way that we respond to that anxiety is with anger, something in the category of anger. It could be kind of a smoldering, quiet anger all the way up to true physical violence. When we feel anxious, when we feel stressed, when we feel unease, we go into combat mode. This would be, you know, biblically speaking, something, something like Cain and Abel. Cain was just not feeling good about Abel's sacrifice being accepted and, 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 and God being pleased with his and not with Cain's. And so he went into anger mode and he reacted with physical violence. Sometimes when we feel anxious, we go to escape. We run away. This, again, can have a range just from emotional withdrawal and quietness and the silent treatment all the way to, you know, literal escapism, like leaving the city, leaving the country, moving far away, or even things like um, substance abuse or escaping into a, a fantasy world of, of video games or TV or movies. It's, it's using something to get away from these feelings of anxiety so that I don't have to deal with them. A third reaction might be to go into analysis mode. I feel stressed, I feel anxious, so I'm going to do what uh, Creech talked about. I'm going to grab a yellow pad, I'm going to sit here, I'm going I'm to write down, I'm going to go like, like Sherlock Holmes, I'm going to go into my mind palace, and I'm going to analyze this from every possible angle, and think, and think, and think, and think, and it can go from kind of a wheel-spinning thing all the way to literal you know, obsession about a problem, obsessing over the stressor, a hypochondriac type of thing, or a... Or a, a I joked about conspiracy theory type of stuff. It's one way to respond to the stresses and the anxieties of life. And the fourth category is simple ignoring. It could be a, a zen type of ignoring. Oh, what problem? That's all in the mind. To outright denial and just stuffing it down. Do you see yourself somewhere in that list? When you're threatened, when you're stressed, when you're frustrated, when hardships come, when anxieties come, in this life you will have many trials. And Jesus says, just ignore it and someday I'll return. In this life you'll have many trials, but you know, if you just run away into the desert, you won't have to deal with those problems because there won't be any people there. Is that what Jesus says? Is that what Jesus invites us into? Jesus offers us a true, honest, even if it is somewhat grim depiction of reality. In this life, you will face hardships. But Jesus then takes the burden upon himself and says, I have come to give you peace. Now hear me clearly on this. 
The gospel is more, so much more than just inner peace. But it's not less than that. Think about the way that peace is spoken of in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the pages of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know before you made your confession of sin and received his grace that your status with God was not friend, but that it was an enemy? And that it is not because of your good works that you smoothed over the relationship with God. It is because Jesus died on the cross to absorb the wrath of God. He rose from the grave on the third day, offering all who would believe peace with God in the ultimate sense. We are no longer enemies. We are no longer in opposition to God. We are called not just forgiven, but we're called his friends. How good is that news, friends? We have peace with God. The Apostle Paul also writes in Ephesians 2 that we have peace with our fellow human beings. In Ephesians 2.14, he talks about how the gospel of Jesus came to break down the dividing wall of hostility. Those things that we as human beings are so good at fighting with each other about and dividing with each other about, whether it's skin color or economics or political persuasion or, or, or gender, whatever it is that we divide over, Jesus came to bring peace not only with God but with our fellow man. This is big gospel stuff, friends. You tracking with me? It's not just peace with God. It's not just peace with humanity. It's peace with all things. Think of the portrait in Revelation 21 where John writes that he, he says, I, I see a new heavens and a new earth for the old ones are passed away. He says, there's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more crying. There's no more of the things that mark this broken world for all things have been made new and God has restored his shalom to all things. That's where we're headed, friends. That's the happily ever after that our hearts long for, of which the, the, the princess movie is but a cheap imitation. We are headed towards the true day when all things are made new. We have peace with all things, but also, but also. So all of those things, peace with God in the, in the cosmic sense, peace with humanity, peace with nature and the world, but yes, peace within us. John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. That peace with God manifests itself in a peace in our own hearts, even when we, as Jesus says, we have suffering. We can be courageous. Or going back a little bit, excuse me, in John 14, when Jesus says, they will have heavenly peace. He says, my, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And, and what I give to you, it's different than what the world gives, he says. It's not as the world gives. The wor what is the world's version of peace? Absence of conflict, success, conquest. Uh, he's speaking this in the time of the Pax Romana. You guys familiar with the Pax Romana? The peace of Rome? Do you know how Rome got its peace? Be peaceful or I will cut you with this sword. Jesus says, no, the, the way I do peace is totally different than that. So don't let your hearts, don't let your hearts, don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. Don't let your hearts be reactive or anxious. 
And the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4 that this peace, it's, 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 it surpasses all understanding. We can't even begin to understand it. That's why the analysis thing falls short. Yeah, it's good to think about things, but this peace that God offers us, the, he, says, he says, don't, listen, again, this is not just cosmic stuff. This is inner life, the, the world of the heart. He says, Paul says, don't worry about anything but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So, hey, you're worrying about stuff. Let's start with prayer. Let's start with gratitude and thanksgiving. And the peace of God, the peace that belongs to God himself, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, the big idea is simply this. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. So after all that, I want to go back to Psalm 131. That was just the intro. <laughs> Remember, I haven't been preaching regularly for three months, so we'll get out of here by the evening football game. All right, back to Psalm 131. So here's what David prays. He says, Lord... You know, this David is, is described as a man after God's own heart. And although he lived before the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, David was a person who had faith in the Messiah. David is a person who received the promise from God that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne and rule over God's people. David believed in the Messiah. How was David saved? By belief in God's promised Messiah. Same as us. He just lived before it happened. We lived after it happened. So he says this. He knows the Lord. He has relationship with the Lord. He has faith in the God of the covenant. He says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty, you know, know, prideful or or, lifted up. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I, and the, the, the verbal construction there, he's the active one. He says, I have had to do some work to calm and quiet myself. Or some translations say, to calm my soul. So I'll get into this more in a minute. Uh, like a weaned child with its mother who no longer cries for its mother, mother's milk. My soul is like a weaned child. There's like that, that restlessness. I've heard a couple of kids. Uh, did Alejandro leave with yours? Okay, that's a, there's zero judgment whatsoever. I love noisy kids in church because guess what? I used to be one. So uh, zero judgment whatsoever. And uh, it's a sad day when you don't hear the cries of little ones in the church. But uh, tell Alejandro to step it up more. Okay, so is he out in the fellowship hall? He's probably mad at me for saying that right now. Um, But you get that picture of like a child that's like restless. I want something. I need something. And those of you who have been parents, you know that experience. Like, what do you want? And the kid is like the, the girl from the notebook. Like, I don't know. And they're just all upset. And and there's this work that has to go into it. <laughs> it's like, it's such a beautiful, it's such a, I love this, this portrait and this prayer. It's like, yeah, like a, like a, like a child who's, who's been weaned, who's no longer thrashing around crying for its mother's milk. I, I, can, I can calm down and I can be okay. This peace, you know, he, he talks about, you know, just got to be humble. Lord, my heart's not proud. I can't, I can't think about things that are just so big and so out there. This peace takes intentionality. You know, he's, I'm, I'm doing this work. I have to stop and slow down and practice peace. And, but ultimately, he, he, he lands with this. Oh, Israel, 
Put your hope in Yahweh, the one true God, now and forevermore. There is no true peace, no lasting peace, apart from the covenant-keeping God who is himself our peace. So let me, let me just offer a handful of quick thoughts. Some things that I want to in- encourage you in this week. Because even as we see in this prayer, there's an intentionality, there's work that we need to do. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I like the word reactivity, because it just already implies, like, I'm, I'm just reacting. I'm not active, I'm reactive. So five thoughts. The first one is this. I encourage you to pay attention to your body. Now, in the psalm, when it says, I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child, it's really interesting. I I wish I had more time to go into this, but basically the, the word there in Hebrew is nefesh. And it is often translated as soul. It is often translated as just life. But did you know that it's actually the same exact root word, the same three letters in the Hebrew alphabet for throat? Nefesh, throat. There's verses that talks about like, you know, someone being, they had the the nefesh choked out of them. How many of you know that when you are stressed or anxious, one of the things that happens is your heart rate goes up and your breathing gets elevated? You know what I'm talking about? Right, um, I had a couple of weeks ago, I was driving somewhere and I had someone kind of drift into my lane. And that reactive, the good part, right? I swerve, I stop, and, but my eyes get focused, my heart rate went up, my breathing went up, my, my grip got tighter. I had a very physical reaction to an actual danger. A month or so ago, I was driving to go have a meeting with someone and I knew that the conversation might be a little bit difficult. And as I pulled into the parking lot, guess what? I noticed the exact same thing about my body. My breathing was elevated. My heart rate was elevated. My cheeks were flushed. My eyes were focused in. So I had to sit in the car for about five minutes and just take some big, deep breaths and pray and ask the Lord to minister his peace to my heart to remind me that I was not in physical danger, and even if this was an emotionally difficult conversation I was heading into, that God would be with me. There's a whole sermon in here about we as a culture not being very connected to our physicality, paying attention to our bodies. I encourage you to pay attention to that. The Lord has made us fearfully and wonderfully we are embodied souls. You can't, you can't, even that word nefesh, soul, it's like, well, is it, we, we automatically think spiritual, but in the, the reality in the Bible is it's actually, it's kind of spiritual and physical. It's hard to know. And that's just how we are as people. We are not spirits trapped in a body. We're a both and creature. Number two, pay attention to your limits. Uh, I love how David says, look, I just, I cannot get involved with things too high and lofty for me. You know, in this season of my life and in ministry, I've had to once again turn off all my social medias for a while because I just noticed, I I just can't handle it. About a week and a half ago, I was on Twitter and there's an author that I follow and I really like the author. He's a Christian author. He, he, on Twitter, he's, he's 
he has that perfect balance of like encouraging and funny. And I'm like, that's how I want to be. And he, he's a really good follow. But then he shared a prayer request and it was his pastor's sister was in the hospital on life support fighting for her life. And all of a sudden now I just have been given a burden of some person I don't know. I don't know this author. I don't know this author's pastor. And I don't know the pastor's sister. But now all of a sudden that just took some of my emotional energy from me. And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't need to read things like that. In this room alone, in, this, in my family alone, there are enough difficult things to occupy my attention. I can't, I have to know my limits and you have to know yours. And it's not just person by person, it's sometimes season by season. Number three, practice regular stillness. And I intend to do some more teaching on this, but just very simply, I mean, when David says, like, I have calmed and quieted my soul, you know, this takes prioritization. Turn your phone all the way off or set it in the other room. Find a chair that you can sit in and just be still with the Lord or get out in nature and go for a walk somewhere and just be still before the Lord and maybe start small. If you've never practiced it, just five minutes, 10 minutes, work your way up, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Some of us too, like when our prayer time, we think prayer, it's like I'm talking and I'm giving this list to God. But, and that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul says, bring your requests to God. But, but this kind of prayer here where David says, I'm just gonna slow my soul down Slow my breathing down. Hmm, read a verse and just mull it over. Meditate on it. Practicing regular stillness. Number four, I encourage you to interact with your anxieties. When you experience that fear, it's, it's telling you something about what you value. When you experience that anxiety, right, it feels like this automatic thing, and there is an automatic portion in our, in our humanity, but where it goes is it goes into this other part of our, of our being where it shows something that's important to you. Why, why does that cause you anxiety and not this other thing? So rather than pushing it away or solving it or squashing it down or just moving on to the next thing, in your times of regular stillness, sit there and say, Lord Jesus would you show me why this is causing me anxiety? What's, what's underneath it? What is it that I value? What is it that I love? What is it that I treasure? What is it that I might love or treasure or rely upon more than you, Lord Jesus? Don't flee them. Don't squash them down. Interact with them. There have been times recently where I literally will just sit in a room by myself and I'll just take my hands like this and I'll just say, okay, Lord, here it is. This might sound a little bit weird or something to you, but... Here's this thing that's causing me stress. And here it is. I have it with me. It's, it's part of who I am. I'm a, I'm a big, like, move on guy. And if my wife was here, she would amen real loud. Uh, so this has been an act of, like, uh, like, putting my own self to death in a sense. Like, okay, Lord, here it is. I hate it. Why is this so important to me? And then lastly... Practice gratitude. And that, just from Paul to Philippians, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. When we're experiencing these anxieties and these fears, it can be so easy to just focus on them and to lose sight of all of the good. 
I mean, we are people of the gospel. What more do we have to be thankful for than Jesus dying on the cross, our sins being forgiven, and we are washed as white as snow? And in this world, Jesus says, we will have troubles, but he does not leave us as orphans. He does not leave us or forsake us. He gives us his own peace. It's not, it's not peace as the world gives it. It's divine peace, and it's ours in Christ Jesus. And so even as I make fun of the happily ever after thing, we can look forward to the day when Christ shall come with that shout of acclamation. He's going to grab a hold of us. And we'll be with him in perfect peace for all of eternity. And until that day, he offers us by his spirit, his peace. And in a moment here, as we go to the table of the Lord, as we continue singing, I invite you to bring your restless souls, to bring your anxious hearts to the Lord. And even as we eat and as we drink, may the Lord use this to minister his peace to us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are the God of peace. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is so much more than just inner peace. But Lord, it's also not less than that. Lord, we thank you that in the ultimate sense, we have peace with you because of the cross of Jesus. We thank you that you are in the process of restoring all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth, making all things new, bringing all things into correct alignment. And so Lord, right now I pray as we come to the table, we would bring those worries to you. We would not be reactive. We would not go into any of these coping ways, but Lord, we would just follow the example of our brother David and bring our hearts before you and ask you to minister your peace to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.